Genesis 14. So this whole first section is talking about um, these different kings and how they had some, some treaties and then there were some kings over some other kings and some kings rebelled and then there was some fighting and, and then they invaded somebody else and it just doesn't seem that relevant. But there's only there's there's one thing that I want to pull out of this that is interesting, and that is that um, this is in in the days of um, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and uh, Shinar is significant, and Shinar uh, goes through the whole Bible, and so that is that's something that I want to make sure that we pull out. So uh, I read it, and I was like Shinar, Shinar, where does that ring a bell? And, uh, and I flip back, and then I flip back too far. And um, Shinar is the whole area where uh, Nimrod set up his first uh, set of kingdoms. So he that this is this is where uh, Babylon is. So Babylon and a bunch of other cities before he moved on to another region. So Shinar is a region that contains Babylon, or Babel, uh, which then we... You know, later on, then there's the, the tower in Babel that they were building before God scattered their languages. Uh, and here we are again, the king of Shinar. So there's now a king, not just of the city, but a king of that whole region, along with uh, three other kings. Uh, they, they are, they've already defeated and are in charge of um, the cities of Sodom and his, their king along with um, four other kings. <clears throat> and so they're in rebellion. And so then, let's go with the, so the, the Shinar king and, and their three kings, along with, you know, go up to fight against Sodom and their kings, and they defeat them. Apparently they don't kill the king, though. Uh, he shows up later, the same one. Uh, and when they take all the stuff from Sodom and Gomorrah, and they take all the stuff, and then they start heading home. Uh, along with that uh, is Lot, this troublesome nephew that has been just causing problems all the way along. Um, God, God said, leave him behind, and uh, Abram brought him with. And here he is, still causing problems. And uh, so, yeah, they, he was captured along with his possessions because he was living in Sodom. And so one of the survivors made it all the way to uh, Abram. And and I was confused at first when I read through this because it just doesn't seem that relevant when, when you finish reading the section. Uh, it says that Abram, the Hebrew, who was at the Oaks belonging to Mamre, uh, the Amorite, and his brother Eshkol, and his brother Anir, Anir. I don't know how to pronounce that. Anyway, um, they were bound by a treaty with Abram. When he heard that his relative was taken, he assembled his 318 trained men, born in his household, and they went in pursuit. And they attacked by night, and they pursued him as far as, uh, they pursued, pursued them as far as uh, Hobah in the north of Damascus. And they brought them all back, uh, and also his relative Lot and his goods. And that other little, like, random treaty information just seemed irrelevant because Abram went, he took his 318 men, he fought against these four kings, 
uh, and defeated the king of Shinar and Babel and, and the three kings that were with him. But that's actually not the whole story. Um, and you don't get the rest of it until you read past this next whole section to the very end of the chapter when you find out that those three guys that were mentioned, all three of them went with. So they actually went with Abram and they fought alongside Abram. So it wasn't just Abram and his 318 trained men. Those were his men. And these other three guys were bound um, as allies with Abram to go and fight alongside him when he needed to go and fight. And so they brought their men and he brought his men. Which, you know, doesn't sound as cool as, you know, him just going up against, you know, all these kings with, you know, only 318 men. Because there, there were these other three guys and and, uh, and then their, their men that came with them. So it's just interesting. They attacked at night and it, it is amazing that they did. I mean, this is, we're talking about four kings of some pretty significant land areas. And now we've got Abram and his little band of troops along with, you know, his three buddies and their, you know, little bands of troops. Uh, and, and they're defeated after this. And it's, it's pretty bad. So they, they defeat him. They chase them all off. They get all of the, the captured uh, people and goods and plunder from all of their, their raids and attacks over this last while. And two kings come out to meet Abram. And I've never actually heard a comparison of these two kings. Usually usually the other king, the king of uh, Sodom, is ignored in this. Because this is the introduction of uh, Melchizedek. Um, and in fact, this is the only reference of Melchizedek and his life. After this, it, uh, you know, other references to this refer back to him as having no family lineage. No, there's no story. There's no... We don't know what else Melchizedek was or represented other than what's right here. And so then Melchizedek, as a, as a high priest before the Lord, is, uh, is the other line of priests that uh, is established forever, um, as Melchizedek was. And that points to, you know, that, that is used to um, point to uh, Jesus to say that, yes, there is a line of, of uh, priests, in Israel, but there's another line of priests that are assigned by God who are not from a specific lineage, who are not from, uh, who are not, not even necessarily from the Jewish people. And Jesus is the head of that priesthood. We'll pull on that later when we get to it. Anyway, so these two kings come out to meet Abram. And it's also odd to me that the king of Gomorrah didn't come out to meet Abram because they took all the stuff from Sodom and Gomorrah. So where's, where's he? Maybe, maybe he's dead. Uh, and so they meet him in the Valley of Kings and Melchizedek, King of Salem brought bread and wine. He was a priest to, to God, to the God most high. And he blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God most high creator of heaven and earth and give praise to God most high who has handed over to you your enemies. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So these two kings come out. Um, Melchizedek, this king of Salem, who was not a part of any of this as far as we know, 
comes out and brings bread and wine and blesses Abram and says, you praise God. And Abram does, and he gives him 10% of everything that he was traveling, you know, all the stuff that they captured and they're, they're dragging back to, to their cities. They're returning all these people and all their goods back to their cities. He gives this guy 10% of everything, which is a way of accepting that blessing. And that is a blessing coming from a priest to God Most High. And it's giving glory to God. And it's honoring God. And then the, the king of Sodom attempts to bless Abram. He says, um, give me my people, but take all of the possessions for yourself. So he he was, I mean, this, is a, this is a huge thing. Abram, um, Abram was not going to take all of the stuff for himself. He, he was planning on returning all of this stuff. Otherwise, why would he be going back that way? Um, and so he, he was going back to return all the stuff and maybe get some kind of a reward. I don't know. Um, but the king of Sodom was trying to bless Abram with this to give him, um, a, you know, a, 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 a big thank you for saving his, you know, the guy's family and relatives who were all taken away by these other kings. And Abram rejects, refuses this blessing. Um, and, and he does it in a really interesting way. He says, it, he says um, I have taken an oath that I will not take anything from you so that you can never say I made Abram rich. Because Abram knows that he is blessed by God and that God has plans for him. But he doesn't want this, this king from this city to be able to take any credit for helping make that happen. What's interesting is that he didn't have that same attitude toward Egypt. In fact, um, if, if, if Pharaoh were to look at Abram, he could say that. And maybe that's why. Maybe after he left, he, you know, there, was, there was boasting in Egypt that, ah, look how awesome Abram is. We made him rich. And so maybe this is backlash against that and that he doesn't want anybody else to be able to take credit other than God. And so he, uh, in addition to that, he actually also shares, um, he, he, so he, see, he refuses it for himself, but he doesn't refuse it for everybody with him. He says that those three uh, Amorites that are traveling with him, uh, his three buddies that are bound in contract with him, that um, Enner, Eshkol, and Memory. Uh, they can take their share. But that Abram wouldn't take any of it. And it's just interesting that there's this, there's, there are two kings and there are two blessings. And one says, give glory to God. And the other one says, um, take all of these possessions. And uh, one of them comes from a, a priest who is a, who worships and serves the God most high. And the other comes from uh the king of this world, of a corrupt city that, that is wicked and evil. The city is. He doesn't say specifically him, but if, if he was there and he was leading it, there's got to be some overlap. I don't know what that has to do with us. I just want to sit with, um, with the idea that 
who we accept blessings from and how we accept blessings matters. Yeah, I want to accept blessing from um, people who point me toward God, who point me toward Jesus, and to not accept things um, and to not rely on people for things um, that come from a place of um, of evil, to you know the things that have not been uh, earned honestly, uh, things that glorify God need to be the things that we accept as blessing. I think it's interesting that Abram wants no part in that. But he he definitely takes a part of Melchizedek's blessing. <sighs> well, now I'm just rambling. So, that's chapter 14. <laughs>